So we're going to finish the series in, in Philippians this morning. We're going to read the whole of chapter 4. The words will be on the screen. You can follow along in a Bible if you've got it with you or the, the app on your, on your phone. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Judea and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of the co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you're renewed, you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We end there giving thanks to God for his word and how he speaks to us today. The singer-songwriter Adele recently gave an interview to shed some light on her latest album, which is a comment really on her divorce from Simon Konecki, who is also father to their son, Angelo. And in this interview, Adele said, it just wasn't right for me anymore. I didn't want to end up like a lot of other people I knew. I wasn't miserable, miserable, but I would have been miserable had I not put myself first. 
She went on to say, I wanted to explain to him, Angelo, her son, through this record, when he's in his 20s or 30s, who I am and why I would voluntarily choose to dismantle his entire life in the pursuit of my own happiness. Even though it made Angelo really unhappy, if I can find that happiness and he sees me in that happiness, then maybe I'll be able to forgive myself for it. If Adele was your best friend, what would you say to her? What would you say to her if she had been wrestling with this issue before the divorce? What would you say to her in this situation right now? How would you support her? How would you counsel her? How would you guide her? Is there good news for Adele in her present situation? Is there good news for you and I in our present situation? Is there hope for anyone in an unhappy marriage? Is there hope for anyone who's experiencing relationship tension or difficulty? Is the secret to contentment able to be known? Can it strengthen us to, to minister in real life situations? Is there a particular situa situation that we're in today that contentment would make a difference in? If our co-workers remain the same, can we be content? If our marriage partners remain the same, can we be content? If our neighbors still play their music too loud or let their dog bark all night, can we be content? You see, if Instagram is to be believed, the way to really enjoy yourself, the way to really have a good time, the, re the way to have the best future possible is just to cut toxic people from your life. Anybody annoys you, irritates you, talks down to you, makes your life difficult, you just cut them from your life. That is the message of today. That's what seems to get the most applause. If you post that idea, your friends will all say, yeah, that's right, just get rid of those people who annoy you. Like, There's loads of them, especially in church. Not any, not 11.30 people, not 9.30 people. <laughs> and yet the Bible has a, has a different approach. The Bible has a different approach, a more realistic one that recognizes we can't just go on canceling people because they irritate us or they inconvenience us. And writing from prison, the Apostle Paul brings this letter to a conclusion by addressing not a marital difficulty, but a relational tension in the church, there's been a fallout between Judea and Syntyche, two genuine Christian women who have served alongside Paul in leadership and ministry. And we're not told what their dispute is about, but it's significant enough for Paul to name them and to urge them to get along rather than telling the church to stick their nose out of it. He urges the church to help get this resolved Help these women, Paul says, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. What you need to understand here about the context that Paul is writing in is it's, it's 60 AD. And back then, sometimes Christians didn't get along. I know it would never happen today. But sometimes in the early church, People fell out with one another. This was before Twitter, before blogging, 
before podcasts and websites that take pleasure in pointing the finger at people with whom we disagree. There were Christian disagreements, and those disagreements are unavoidable, but division, division is unacceptable. Disagreement is unavoidable, but division is is unacceptable. We are to agree in the Lord. His faithfulness to us is to shape our faithfulness to one another. Jesus didn't walk out on you when you were annoying, when you were difficult to love, when you wronged him or disappointed him. He didn't walk out on you. Therefore, your response, your Christian response, should be influenced by how God has treated you. How have you been handled by him should influence how you handle other difficult people. Has somebody made a decision that negatively impacted upon your life in some way? Somebody disappointed you or wronged you, overlooked you? You're here this morning to worship, to meet with Jesus, God's son who who didn't grasp equality with God, but he gave it up humbled himself, became a man, taken on the very nature of a servant. He died so that you could live. His commitment to you meant that he voluntarily stepped out of heaven where he was loved perfectly in order to step down into earth where he was rejected by his own creation so that you could be forgiven and free. He chose the experience of misery on the cross. Misery of miseries. He died a criminal's death so that you could have joy. Paul knows this way of life doesn't come easy or instinctively or naturally to us. So the first thing he says or the first thing that I want you to notice about what he says is is in verse 9 where he says, practice, practice. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Practice. Paul uses his own life as an example of conflict resolution. He can make a strong case because he used to persecute Christians. He held a coat of those who stoned Stephen and took his life. He was a proud Jew who looked down his nose at at Gentiles. And now he's planting churches, training elders, welcoming Gentiles into God's family, writing letters of instruction to other church leaders and encouraging them to do the same. He's under house arrest and writing a letter that repeatedly talks about joy. Rejoice in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. It's not the first phrase that would spring to mind if you were in prison, if you were chained to a Roman guard. No one's going to read this letter from Paul and say, it's all right for you. It's all right for you to say, love your enemies. It's all right for you to say, humble yourself. It's all right for you to say, get along with people who you, who you dislike. You're in an idyllic situation. If I had your life, then I could obey God. No one's going to say that when they read Paul's letter. They know his circumstances. His life was difficult. Paul had gone through training drills that he'd used to train himself and equip himself. He'd practiced godly behavior in challenging times. I used to have a football manager who would say to us in training, 
what you do on a Tuesday and Thursday night, you do on a Saturday. So if your passing is sloppy on a Tuesday and Thursday night, it's going to be, don't expect it to be really sharp in the match. If you're mucking about and tripping each other up while you're running around on a Tuesday and Thursday night, don't expect to be really at it come Saturday. If you can't win a header on a Tuesday and Thursday night, don't expect to win one on a Saturday. If you can't tackle, if you can't pass, if you can't get your formation right, he used to say it over and over and over again. No messing about. Get your first touch, get your pass, get your head up. Win your individual battles. He would say these things over and over and over again. Practice was important because there would be, there would be coming a time in a match scenario when you would need to put those things into practice. No use to expect uh, that you can do it when you really need it, if you haven't rehearsed. And Paul doesn't give them a physical workout plan or a coaching session, but there are things that the church does need to train itself in. And speaking like a personal trainer, Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard or seen in me, Put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. How easy is it to think about things that you shouldn't think about? <laughs> to let your mind drift in negative thoughts about other people? To play over and over and over and over again in your mind the thing that someone else said or did that upset you? To gossip about them? to make a list of faults of another person who you dislike and to scan for information about them that backs up your negative assessment of their life. I can remember saving a critical email that someone sent me. It, it accused me of something that I hadn't done. And <clears throat> I went back to it again and again, months after the issue was resolved, just to feel smug and self-satisfied. To think, that person was such an idiot. I am so superior to them. Look at what they said about me. Let's just open this email. Oh my goodness, I can't believe they said that. And then, then you know what happens? Somebody comes into the room when you're reading the email and you say, probably, probably shouldn't tell you, but wait to hear what this person said about me. No way. Who, who said that? And then you start to, there's other people involved in endorsing your assessment of yourself and the negative assessment of someone else. You share excerpts of the email with others out loud. We hear this, but it's brilliant. He said that <laughs> my behavior was the exact opposite of what Paul was saying here. Paul is encouraging people in the church to rehearse whatever is excellent to go over what is praiseworthy, whatever is true, whatever is, whatever is noble. Love keeps no record of wrong. Committing the words of this email to memory was a way of making me feel superior to the person who sent it. I was using it to elevate myself and trample on another person when I should be rehearsing the mercy of God. I should be going again and again thinking, I have been well treated at the hands of God, no matter how I have been mistreated by others. How I have been shown grace and patience when I was an idiot should be blowing my mind and humbling me 
going over that email was a way to puff me up and make me feel arrogant. I should be rehearsing, we should be rehearsing how we've been treated at the hands of God. Is, is the discontentment you're so acutely aware of this morning a result of you meditating how you've been mistreated at the hands of others rather than how you've been treated at the hands of Jesus on the cross? Yes, you may have been mistreated by others, but Jesus was mistreated for you. Yes, you may have been snubbed, overlooked, ridiculed, dismissed and hurt by family, by a close friend, by your workplace, but stop thinking about that and train your mind, practice, discipline your mind to think about the incredible way that God has treated you. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. To his feet thy tribute bring. If God is for me, who could be against me? Who could be? Who could be against me? Just me? No. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God is my refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Psalm 27 verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Rehearse those things. Go over that in your mind. Citizens of the kingdom of heaven need to practice laying hold of the privileges of our citizenship. I was thinking about this uh, during the week as one of our boys that was doing the New City Catechism with them which is a little app on my phone and does some questions and answers. And we're not that far into it. We've probably been doing it for about three years. We're like question five or something. But the first question is, what is our only hope in life and death? And the answer is, we are not our own, but belong to God. And there's a song that goes with it. And just at, at bedtime, one of the boys said, would you, know, play, would you play, play something from the New City Catechism app? And I was thinking about that. Whatever is true, whatever is right, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What is our only hope in life and death? We are not our own, but belong to God. Christian, you belong. You belong to God. No matter how out of it you feel in your office, no matter how uncomfortable you feel in your friendship group, no matter how disconnected you feel from church right now, no matter how messed up your family situation is, you belong. Jesus has written his name on you with permanent marker and I promise that he'll not leave you behind in the changing rooms. You were once lost property, but now you're found. You are not your own, you belong. Can you practice that this week? Can you write the words, I belong on a post-it note? Can you? Make it the screensaver on your phone. Can you stick that post-it note on your desk or your fridge or your dashboard? Don't cover your speedometer. But I belong. Text it to a Christian friend. We are so accustomed to finding ways and pieces of evidence to tell us that we don't belong, that we're out of it, that we're on the fringe, that everyone else is at the center and I'm not really included and I'm... We're not as funny as them, not as cool as them, not as fit as them, not as fast as them. We don't have kids. I'm not married. They have more money than me. 
They've been around longer than me. Stop rehearsing the temporary ways that we look to find belonging and rehearse the eternal way that you do belong in Christ Jesus. I belong. I am not my own. Do you know, the fact that you belong to God in Christ will never change. All these other circumstances will change. And I promise it will impact your contentment as you rehearse the fact that you belong. It's so easy to feel disconnected. I feel it. Stand at the touchline watching my kids play football or sport and hear the conversation. And my life is different from the lives of the other people that are standing there. And I'm thinking, I can't really participate in this conversation. And, you know, as soon as I say I work in a church, it's like, oh, he's like from another planet. And I'm just like, you know, I just feel like, oh, I'm out of it. I don't really, I'm not really like them. It's so easy to rehearse where you don't belong. But you, you, you need to rehearse the reality that you do, you do belong. You belong to the one who really matters. You, you belong where it really counts. And church has been weird this last two years. It's been difficult to connect online and we haven't been ourselves. Don't think I don't belong. You belong. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. As a prisoner, Paul knew what it was like to be guarded, to have a guard close to him, being watched closely. Not everyone had access to Paul, and he didn't have access to everyone. And he tells the Philippians, as they pray, the peace of God will stand guard over their hearts and their minds. Not, not everything will be granted access to your mind. Not everything will be allowed in. Some things will be told to go. Paul encourages them to practice. Can, can you practice that you belong this week? Practice the benefits of belonging to the kingdom of God. I'm forgiven. My future is secure. If God is for me, who could be against me? All things work together for good for those who love God and be called according to his purpose. Rehearse those things. He will never leave me or forsake me. Go over that stuff, practice. And then secondly, and, and more quickly, provision. Paul talks about provision. He, he's grateful for the, the provision. He's, he's received a gift from Epaphroditus. It hadn't always been possible for the Philippians to, to share their generosity with Paul. They must have been able to get the gift to him, but now they had the opportunity, and Paul recognized the gift. Epaphroditus had brought it, and Paul wants them to know that while he's really grateful for their kindness, it's not what gets him out of bed in the morning. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength, business class or economy, fine dining or fast food, black tie or casual, Beverly Hills or Beverly Shops. Paul can be content. Whatever the situation, whatever the circumstances are, Paul's like, I'll, I'll do it all. I can face whatever comes in my direction because I'm not looking to these things to derive my contentment or my joy. You'll maybe remember the band James who sang Sit Down. I'm not going to sing it because I can't sing. You know, Sit Down Next to Me. 
And, and one of those, uh, the chorus or one of the verses says, now I'm relieved to hear that you've been to some far out places. It's hard to carry on when you feel all alone. Now I've swung back down again. It's worse than it was before. If I hadn't seen such riches, I could live with being poor. Oh, said I. Um, and he says, if I hadn't seen such riches, I could cope with poverty, I could cope with being poor. And, but Paul doesn't say that. Paul says, I've seen riches in poverty and I can be content in any and every situation. The lyricist here, the writer of this song, has been ruined by the high life. He's, he's tasted the good things and he can't go back. A couple of weeks ago, I was given tickets for a Glasgow Rangers game and they were for the director's box. James and Robbie and I enjoyed being in the director's box. 50,000 people in Ibrox. All the iron brew you could drink. Sausage rolls, chicken goujons, chips, tonics, mallows, caramel wafers, more tonics, mallows, more iron brew. It was unbelievable. Comfy seats. Except they threw away a two goal lead and ended up drawing the game with Motherwell. He's got his Rangers top on this morning. They're playing Celtics big game today. So, so I've had that experience and I now know right, what it's like to be in the director's box at Glasgow Rangers. So when I go to Carrick Rangers <laughs> and there's 50 people in the ground and I don't even know if they have seats there, right? Um, and there's no iron brew or tonics, mallows or it's a bit of a come down. But Paul tells the Philippians and me that we have a special ability to deal with the highs and lows of life. In fact, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength, verse 13. This doesn't mean that we, everything you want to do, Christ will give you the strength to do it because we're Christians. This is not God's pledge to be your own personal genie and grant you every single wish. Paul is saying here that whatever comes his way, whatever comes the Philippians' way, whatever they have to face in life, God will grant them the strength to face it in Christ. He will make them adequate through Jesus for whatever comes their way. Because Jesus has defeated our last enemy, death, then we can have confidence about any other enemy or difficulty that comes our way. Death is our greatest enemy and Jesus has defeated it. Therefore, if we are in Christ, we can have confidence that whatever comes our way, we can deal with it in his strength. A worry, I have to be honest, do worry about the phrase. Sometimes people say, God won't give you more than you can handle. Maybe people have said that to you. You know, God, God won't give you more than you can handle. I'm like, he already has. Like pretty much all the time I feel out of my depth. There are situations where I think, I, I don't know what to do. This is too much. I, I can't cope. There are situations where I feel that all the time. If you're here this morning and you think, this is, I'm out of my depth, then know that God will make you adequate. I don't find any biblical basis for, you know, God won't give you more than you can handle, but I do find biblical basis for God strengthening you and equipping you in his power to face whatever comes your way. I regularly find myself out of my depth. I talk to other Christians who say the same thing about the pressures and difficulties of life. It feels like too much to bear. And the confidence we have in all of these situations is that Christ will strengthen you. I can do all this through Christ who strengthens me. He will give you the power. He will make you adequate. He will supply your needs at the right time. 
often find myself saying to people, you know, you, if you have small children, you don't give them their boarding pass three days before they take the flight. You stand at the bit where the air steward is and you say, here's your boarding pass. They show it to the person. You say, right, give that back to me. <laughs> the, the, do the same with the passport. You say, I'll, I'll look after this stuff. And to be honest, my kids aren't worrying about getting a boarding pass or a passport three days beforehand, three weeks beforehand. They're not even that worried about it right up until the moment. They go, oh, I need this, right, okay. And they hand it back. Your heavenly Father knows exactly what you need and will give it to you at the right time. Heart of my own heart, whatever befalls, there'll be my vision, O ruler of all. Whatever befall. The reason we can't be content, and the reason we can be content, sorry, and not anxious about anything is that no circumstance could ever beat God, defeat God, be too much for God, and therefore there will be no circumstance that will be too much for us if we are in him. Just in closing, you know, in the, the article that I read this week about Adele and her marriage breakup, it was a great quote from a, a British philosopher and atheist, Alan de Baton, and he said this, the good news is that it doesn't matter if we find we have married the wrong person. We mustn't abandon him or her. Only the founding romantic idea upon which Western understanding of marriage has been based the last 250 years, that a perfect being exists who can meet all our needs and satisfy our every yearning. That statement is true when it comes to created beings. No husband or wife can satisfy you. No child or parent. No friendship. No job. No salary will do it. No holiday. No approval. No house, no gene size, no grade, no car, no phone. Nothing in this world is designed to satisfy you and I. That's not the purpose of our relationships. But Paul does tell the Philippians where contentment is found. You see, all this thirst that we have for recognition, all this thirst that we have for love, for security and peace can only be quenched by one person, God's son, Jesus. And in his great love for us, God made provision for us in Jesus. Verse 19 says, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Your great need is to be right before God. That's your greatest hunger. Am I right before God? To be forgiven to be sure that your name too, like Uriah and Syntyche, is in the book of life. There is a book of life, by the way. Is your name in it? Is your name in the book of life? Not possible to put it there yourself, but God can put it there. Paul was confident that Uriah and Syntyche had their name in the book of life. When the rule is called up yonder, I'll be there. When there's a rule call, my name is in the book of life. Is your name in the book of life? It's only possible through the glorious riches of Jesus Christ. What is our only hope in life and death? We are not our own, but belong to God in Christ Jesus. Do you belong? Are you his? May you know the peace of God that transcends all understanding because you belong to Jesus. Let's take a moment to pray and then we'll worship. Father, we thank you this morning for your word, for the encouragement that we find in it. 
we confess that we are a disgruntled people. We mumble and complain. We're discontent because the things of this world have become too big in our eyes. Help us, Lord God, to turn our eyes upon Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face, that the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace.